Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. Good morning. How are we? It's good to be with you. You guys keep showing up every week. It's crazy. It's like we've got a community here. Uh, it's good to be back. It's been a while for me, and so I'm excited. I, I apologize ahead of time. We had a rough, we had a rough night. Uh, what's, <laughs> families with young kids, God bless you. God bless you. Uh, yeah, my wife has uh, this tooth ache, and she's needing a new root canal. It's over the weekend, so what do you do, right? You can't get in. And so it's just been crazy dealing with that. And then my youngest son last night, Maverick, you know, the gigantic kid, he, uh, he just decided he'd sleep wasn't important. And so I was trying to relieve my wife, and so I was up with him until like 2 a.m., and it's like he wouldn't sleep. You know, he'd fall asleep and he'd wake up again. And then finally I, I get him to sleep. I bring him upstairs, and then uh, my older son walks in at like 4 and is like, Dad! And I'm like, oh, my God. Like it just, it was a never ending night. So um, I apologize ahead of time. I'm, I'm trying to stay awake for you guys uh, because I'm excited. I'm excited about what we have uh, to talk about this morning and, uh, and where, we're, where we're headed as a church. Um, so Vox traditionally hasn't been one of those churches that does, you know, the big sermon series like you see at some of the other churches. And, um, and there's some different reasons we have for that. But uh, for a particular reason, th- this one I think is an important one that we're going to do and we're going to jump into um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, we're going to jump into the series in Acts. So we're going to take 10 weeks as a church and uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts. Now, if you look at the book of Acts and you've done the math, you realize there's 28 chapters and 10 weeks where you're like, well, how's that going to happen? Right. So uh, every person that's going to speak is going to have like two to three chapters to try to cover every single week, and which is really not going to happen. So the invitation that we have for you is that maybe every single week, um, if you have time or you have space, pick up your Bible, begin to read through some of the chapters in Acts and follow along with us. And then when you show up on Sunday, you kind of hear a message that might uh, resonate with something that you read, or maybe there's a question you had in Acts would love, love, love that. So through the next 10 weeks, if you have questions uh, regarding the book of Acts or anything in the Bible for that matter, shoot us a text um, or shoot us an email. We'd love to answer those questions. That's why we gather. It's part of why we gather to be able to say, hey, this is a safe place to ask questions because the Bible's confusing, right? There's things in it that we don't understand and it was written thousands of years ago to different people. And so how do we interpret it and what do we do with it? And so we want to invite those things. So the question is why? Why do we, why do we choose the book of Acts? Um, if you've been with Vox for any length of time, you realize that Vox is a community that has sort of developed and formed out of this idea of deconstruction. For many of us, we've come into this place um, either hurt or wounded from church or an experience that we've had with church or spirituality, um, and we've, we've had questions and, and we've doubt and we have skepticism and we're a little bit suspect about what some of these things mean. And so we've gone through our life and sort of peeled back the layers of what's been handed to us from either our parents or family or friends. And, and deconstruction is actually very important. It's a very important part of our life that we deconstruct those things. Now, deconstruction is an easy part. Actually, you can deconstruct just about anything pretty easily. The hard part, and this is where the work of of deconstruction actually begins, which is the the work of reconstruction. How do we begin to put back together the puzzle, the pieces, the parts of what is good? 
What is good in, 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 in Christianity for us, and how do we reclaim that? And so you're going to hear a lot of that in, the, in the, this fall is this idea of safe to reclaim. There are some things um, within Scripture that we want to reclaim. There's some things in our heritage that we want to reclaim. There are some other things that we want to push away and go, this is not, this is not who we are, um, and that's okay. That's part of it, and so we're going to rebuild that together. And so what better way to reconstruct than to actually look at our humble beginnings, right, the beginnings of the Christian movement that we know today. And so we're going to jump right in and, and we're going to find out what is, our, what is our living heritage? What is the heritage of Christianity today? So if you have a Bible, great. Acts chapter 1 is where we'll be. And uh, you can just kind of figure for the next 10 weeks, that's where we'll be at uh, in the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the, um, the verses up on the screen so you can just kind of follow along as we, as we read. So it starts off this way, and we'll kind of dig into this. I want you to pay attention to what um, the author is, is, is doing here, because something unique is happening in this writing, and, and if you miss it, uh, you, you sort of miss the entire, entire, uh, entire part of what uh, the author is saying. In my first book, so we know that there's another book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Now, we have uh, varying accounts of this, right? So this one author is talking about the fact that after the resurrection, um, Jesus appeared to people, many, many, many people. And there's different authors who can corroborate this, who have the same accounts. And so he's re rephrasing this. Um, uh, so he appeared to them, and, and he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God, Verse four, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's the question. How did this small, disenfranchised, suspect group of Messianic Jews who followed and believe in this carpenter from Nazareth grow into what we know today as Christianity. That's our living heritage. Like when people ask you, how did Christianity begin? You go, yeah, it was like a couple of Messianic Jews who believed in this carpenter. And it started in this small little room. And in a matter of a few decades, it began to grow tremendously. And you go, how? How did that happen? I think Acts gives us insight into how that happened. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to jump into it, kind of ask some questions, see who wrote it, the genre. This will give us a better picture and hopefully set the stage for the next 10 weeks and give us an overarching view of what's happening. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump in, okay? Uh, God, we thank you uh, for the stories and we thank you for um, what was documented, what was recorded, uh, the genius of, of the literature that we have. Um, we're thankful. Help us to open our hearts and open our minds to see just beyond the surface, to actually dive deeper and realize um, there's something more happening and there's more of you happening. Help us to, to grab a hold of those things. 
In this process of deconstruction, I pray that if anybody's going through that, that you'd give them peace, you'd give them comfort. I pray that the community would come around those people and support and say, yes, continue this journey. Uh, And we pray for those who are in reconstruction, that, Lord, that you help them give them courage and strength to do the hard work, um, to rebuild what is good and what is right. Uh, So we invite you now to speak to our hearts and to our minds. We love you, Jesus. And we pray, Amen. amen. All right, so I think the first good place to start is the author. Who is the author of Acts? And uh, we know that this is, the author is Luke. Uh, And now Luke tells us uh, pretty early on in this beginning intro that this is, Acts is part of a two-part series, that this is a volume, this is a set. Um, So there's more to read than what you're actually seeing. And so we know that Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So when you read Luke and Acts together, uh, which is actually meant to be read together, you you see the parallels. You see what this author is doing. You see how he's uh, paralleling stories. And when you read Acts and you see some of the missionary journeys and some of the things that are happening, you can see some of the other events that are happening that are mentioned in Luke's Gospels. And so uh, this is a a part of a series. Um, We ask the question, who is it written to? Well, it's pretty obvious. He said it's written to Theophilus. This is the same person that he wrote Luke to. He says it in the beginning of Luke. These are the orderly accounts that I have written for you, most honorable Theophilus. Um, scholars talk about who Theophilus is. It's, it's pretty much agreed that he was probably a patron or a, patron or a sponsor, um, a well-to-do uh, official uh, who was giving money to Luke to write these accounts of who Jesus is and this movement that we know today is Christianity. Uh, now, that's important because like any good author, there's an agenda, right? There's a purpose. There's a point. And Luke has a very specific point and purpose for what he's doing and how he's doing it. So we have to ask this question, what's the genre? What is the genre of Acts? Because um, there's different genres, and, and we understand this today too, right? Like when you read something from The Onion, you guys familiar with The Onion? Yeah. Right. It's, it's satire, right? And so you read The Onion, and you can realize like this is not real, this is fake. And then you can read some other stuff, and you go, okay, this is actual news. I get that, right? Um, but sometimes we miss that in Scripture because we have a tendency to, to forget that there's a genre, that there's a purpose. And so what happens is some people will take the Bible and they'll hold it in this literal sense. And there's a danger in that because when you hold it up and you think, I have a high view of Scripture because I take it literally, you actually miss the genius of what the actual writing is meant to be, literarily. So literarily, these, these writers are geniuses. Any, any good author weaves in their story and what they're trying to do, right? Um, when, you, when you watch, uh, if any of you watch like Star Wars or Marvel uh, movies, have you ever noticed how they, they weave in like little things, they kind of throw back little Easter eggs and they'll put these little things in and, and if you didn't know about those previously, then you wouldn't catch it, right? You just sort of miss it, which is what's happening all throughout scripture. Lots of times you'll read something and in it there's historical narrative where they're talking about historical facts and then all of a sudden they might switch to something like satire. In fact, Jonah, the book of Jonah is filled with satire. And if you were to take Jonah and say, Jonah is really just about this guy who got swallowed by a whale and it had to have happened, well, you're really missing the point of Jonah because Jonah is this incredible um, satire on xenophobia, on nationalism, on racism and how much God loves people, right? So you can miss the point of the story. So I'm getting off track a little bit, but I want you to get a hold of what's happening here in Acts. And so Luke, the genre for Luke is is probably theological narrative. It's probably the best way to describe it. Theological narrative. What does that mean? Uh, 
Luke is trying to show you what God is like through story. He's trying to express the nature of God through uh, story, particularly through the disciples, right? Which is so, so, so genius because even today we understand the power of story, right? Um, that's why we're so in, encapsulated when we, we hear a story on the news or we watch a YouTube video of somebody's crazy recovery story and you're like, whoa. Or even last week when we heard Matthew's story and the raw vulnerability in which he shared, there's something that just draws us into it and we connect. Jesus taught in stories constantly. And so G, uh, Luke is, is trying to tell us what God is like through stories. Now, there's an important note here as we read and continue to look at Luke's account. Luke is writing from the perspective of decades, decades into the Jesus movement. So see, for for me, sometimes when I read scripture, I, I think that this is happening real time for Luke. And it's not. So Luke is actually decades removed, and he's this older gentleman now, and he's had some time to review and to think, and he's seen. Think about the perspective you have in your own life, removed 20, 30 years, right? Don't you just cringe sometimes? Right? You look back and you go, oh my God, what was I thinking, right? When I was 18, I thought I knew everything. And then I hit 21 and I thought I knew everything. And then I got to like 30s and I realized I know nothing, right? That's how it starts to happen. You go, I don't know anything. Um, And so I think this is a beautiful thing because as Luke is reflecting back, he's telling raw, vulnerable stories of where they made mistakes, how they failed, which brings up another important thing. Sometimes, some brands of of Christianity, some brands of churches will idealize the first century church in Acts. And they'll say, this is what our church should be. This is what we're meant to be. We're meant to be this this kind of church, you know? And, And that's not the point. Acts is not trying to set up the standard of what a church should look like because, let's be honest, we're not all bringing our garage sale junk here to sell everything and live in a commune, okay? Nobody wants your garage sale stuff. We don't, we don't want to do that, right? That's not the point. This was a specific time and a culture and a context. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire, so they were pushed into small house churches, right? So there's a danger in taking something so literal and missing the actual point of the story. And so it's important to understand that Luke is reflecting back. He's got perspective. He sees the areas where they messed up, and I'm sure lots of them did, right? Lots of the the authors looked back and were like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? How did I do that? But they didn't hide that. They actually put that in there for us to realize that we're all human. And that's what's so beautiful about scripture is that it's, it's human. At its core, it's very, very human. While it has the divine in it, ah, it's so human. We connect so many ways in it. So the cool thing that Luke does is he does this kind of thing like, like, again, like good authors do. He connects the volume in the series, right? He does this sort of like hyperlink thing. If you imagine like scroll technology, right? They don't have like books and they don't have like a recap. So what he does is he recaps the story for himself. He, he hyperlinks the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And if you've ever read all through Luke or the beginning of Acts, you see the similarities. I'm gonna read it to you real quick, just a quick snippet, and you can see what Luke is doing because he's writing this in a series for Theophilus. So in Luke 24, this is the last chapter in, in his gospel, verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of all these things. This is Jesus talking. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. 
That's Luke. Now listen to Acts, Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness, telling people throughout, about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? Pretty easy, right? He, he's saying, here's the end, here's the next, right? So what happened last week, here's what's happening this week. He, he begins to pick up the story again, and so he's telling you the narrative trajectory of the story. It's beautiful. The narrative trajectory of the story of Acts is simple. It's right here. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So subsequently, when you read Acts, and for the next 10 weeks, when you hear the different teachers come up here and talk about Acts, keep in mind Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, because that is what the movement of Christianity is about to do. It started in this small little room in Jerusalem, in Passover, right? These, these, these marginalized, disenfranchised, suspect group of men who followed this carpenter from Nazareth. It, it, it blossomed and it bloomed just as Jesus said it would, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so you'll see that this is the story. So like, like any good author, he's telling you where they're going to go. Here's where the story's going to go. When you watch the narrative arc, you're going to see how this thing goes. Now, all of that, everything that, that Luke sets up, hinges upon this phrase. Now, this is the phrase you got to hold on to, right? Because this is really the crux of the whole book of Acts. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit. We see this introduction now of this thing that Jesus had promised. I say thing, that's not the right word. A person, the third person of the Trinity, right? The Godhead. And so he's saying a gift, a precious gift is coming to you. The Holy Spirit will come to you and give you power. This is the culmination of what Jesus has been telling them. Now, we'll get into the Holy Spirit in a little bit, but I want to continue on with, with what Luke is doing here in the narrative, what he's saying. So we've continued to follow on where we're on. In verse 3, he says this, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Why would Luke feel the need to say that? If he's writing in perspective going backwards, why does he feel the need to write that? Well, because Luke makes a case for the resurrection of Jesus. Apparently in Luke's day, there were lots of people who didn't believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus. Not so different than today, right? Lots of people will say, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. That's kind of a weird story. And you have to agree, that's a weird story because people don't come back from the dead, right? So he feels the need to tell his audience, look, this happened. People saw him. Many witnesses were around, and a lot of people didn't believe. And so Luke is putting this in here saying, listen, this is what happened. It goes even further. Look what he says. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And then he goes in verse 4. Once when he was eating with them. Okay, so what an incredible proof, right? Because disembodied people don't have food right? They don't share in a meal. So you see the genius of what Luke is trying to do, right? Not only is he saying that other people saw him, he's going to take it one step further and say that actually, Jesus was actually eating a meal with the people. What an incredible proof, right? He's actually saying, look, this is the proof that this actually happened. But we can't just stop there because it's not just that he's trying to prove a point. See, they go beyond that. This is the beauty of his authorship. He's actually showcasing the closeness, the relationship that God has with his people. That through Jesus, there was this bond, there was this relationship because in the first century, in ancient Jewish culture, 
to eat a meal was one of the most intimate things you could do, right? So what Luke is saying is look at the closeness. Look at the connection that Jesus has with his people. He sits and he dines and he has a meal with them. What a beautiful thing, right? Now, something happens at the dinner conversation as we kind of follow the story, right? During this conversation, the disciples have questions. Now, keep in mind, this is Luke reflecting. So Luke is down here, decades into the Jesus movement, going, ah, yes, the dinner table. After he rose and came, we had the dumbest questions, right? Kind of like that. So he goes, here's the question we had. Uh, so when the apostles Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Well, there's a couple questions that are, this is normal questions for them. This isn't crazy at the time, because let's just think about their culture. So they had the prophets, right? These ancient writers, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and they talked about the restoration of Israel. And so these people were steeped in this literature, and they knew this prophecy. They knew that Israel would be restored. And so they're living essentially in exile. They have Roman people who are above them and, and are oppressing them. And so Jesus is the Messiah and everything points to a Messiah restoring Israel and their kingdom. And so they have these natural questions, right? They're going, hey, so is this the time? When is it going to happen? You know, and Jesus says, hey, the, the kingdom has come. So they're listening to all the stuff that Jesus says. And now they're sitting here going, okay, you've come. When is it going to happen? Right? So natural progressions of questions. Now, they assumed a physical empire, a physical restoration and a rebuild, right? That's why it says, so when the apostles were Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, is the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, why is it important for Luke to include this? Because even in the midst of the story, even in the midst of all that was happening, Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus appearing to them, um, you know, incredible things happening, miracles happening, they still had a faulty understanding about God's redemption plan. They had an expectation about what God was going to do for them and for their kingdom. So they wanted political change. They wanted power and control for their nation. However, the power they were looking for was found in the Holy Spirit manifest in their lives. You see, they missed, they missed it. Something greater was happening, and they missed it. And so Luke is reflecting back and going, ah, we, we were so fixated and focused on what God is, is, should do for us today, right? Have you ever found yourself with expectations about what God should do? Right? And, and the, the Bible is so unique because it's so human, right? We connect with that. Like all of us have this expectation in our life about what God should do. God should give me a good job. God should let my kids sleep 10 hours every single night. Like I have these real expectations about what God should do, right? I follow, I go to church, bless me now, give me these things. And that just is simply not the story. And the same is true for those who follow Jesus so closely, they had expectations. They wanted political change. They wanted power. Sometimes our expectations of what God should be doing is far less than what God is actually doing. See, we, we have such a small perspective, and I think that's what Luke is saying. Luke is, is conveying the, the faultiness and the weakness of our own human thinking and our own mind. You see, if they just wanted a kingdom, 
If they just wanted political power, if they just wanted to rise and take over their nation, they could have been conquered again. It happened many, many times before. You see, God's redemption plan through Jesus was something much more different. He promised them something that would come and give them power. His presence, the Holy Spirit, this is what he talked about in the beginning. This is what everything hinges upon, that the Holy Spirit comes and gives them power to be his witness. Now let's kind of wrap and close here as we think about what, it, what is this, this Holy Spirit that comes, manifests in and through his people. It says this in Acts, and you will be my witnesses. This is an important theme throughout the book of Acts. Over and over and over again, you're gonna hear about the witnesses, the witnesses of who Jesus is. Now, this is an interesting word. The word is martus, which is where we get the word martyr, right? People who've seen and witnessed. And so it says, they were telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the book of Acts is titled The Acts of the Apostles. But see, I think that's really not the story. I think it should be different because really what we're seeing is a theological narrative. Remember, this is Luke telling what God is like to the story of people. Jesus said, you will receive my Holy Spirit, which will come from heaven and empower you. So really, the book of Acts is about what God is doing through the empowerment of his people. What? That's crazy to me because we're so, we're human, right? We're so weak and frail and we're inconsistent and we make mistakes and we're fallible and we're ignorant sometimes, right? And we, we make huge messes of things. And yet, you and me are a part of the redemption plan. The Holy Spirit comes down, says you will be my witnesses. So what Luke is trying to convey to his readers and even to us today is that when Jesus' followers are faithful to follow Jesus, their story will mirror Jesus' story. Newsflash, Jesus' story isn't just greatness and happiness and joy. While that's there, right? We can see that. We can see the beauty in Jesus' story when miracles and people are healed. And you can see it in the church and the community around you, right? When people are served, when homeless people are served and cared for, we see the beauty in the Jesus story reflected, right? That is a witness to who Jesus is. When we come alongside somebody who's hurting and in pain and we care for them, the beauty of the Jesus story is made available and real, right? And yet, simultaneously, we know where the Jesus story goes. The Jesus story walks towards crucifixion and death. You see, we can't have a life that reflects Jesus if there's no suffering and there's no pain. It's part of the story. But this, this Jesus story, is not just about death, it's about a death that leads to life. That gives incredible power to go out into all the world and to showcase what a beautiful Jesus looks like. You and me and us, we will be the witnesses. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. What's that look like for us today? This is a question we need to wrestle with, right? 
with so much political agenda around churches and religion and all this other stuff. Like, how do, how do we come back and go, man, there's, there's power in, in weakness. There's this great power that is given to us that, that leads to death but then brings life. And it mirrors the Jesus story. This is what the book of Acts is about. Over the next 10 weeks, you're gonna get to see more and more stories. And you're gonna see Stephen, right? And you're gonna see the parallels. Stephen is one of the first martyrs in Christianity. And you're gonna see the trial and the death, the execution of Stephen. And you're gonna go, wow, that's just like Jesus. You're gonna see Paul's trial and eventually his execution, which mirrors Jesus, right? There's the mirroring of the Jesus story when we're faithful. What does it look like for us today? 2018, to live out the way of Jesus. That's the question we have to wrestle with. That's the question we bring into our own life and internalize. God, thank you. Thank you for the story. Thank you for the beauty of uh, keeping this alive for us so that we can see um, real human interaction and failures and mistakes and getting it wrong, and yet we see uh, the nature of grace and mercy that you share and the way that you love us through these things, and yet um, when our expectations are set too low, you always exceed that with something greater. Give us the patience to go through those times. When we're suffering and when we're in pain, give us the reminder that if we're faithful, we're reflecting your life, we're reflecting your story, that that suffering and pain isn't all for nothing. There's something there that you're doing something. Help us to have eyes to see it. God, we're grateful for this community that gathers here every single week. I know I am personally thankful for the space that we give for people to deconstruct in a safe way, but then also to reconstruct in a a healthy way. Um, We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to move to the culmination of our service, which is the Eucharist. Um, This is the gathering together. This is where it happened for the disciples, right? They were gathering around a Passover meal. They were sharing the bread and they were sharing the wine. And Jesus told them, every time you gather, do this in remembrance of me. This is a way to connect with our story. This is a way to connect with who we are and what is our heritage, and the, 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 the bread and the wine are, are symbolic for us. They invite us all in to the story about Jesus who died for us, who loved us, but then rose again. He didn't just leave us there, but he gave us a life that comes from death. And so uh, this morning, as you take, just take a moment to reflect. Just take a moment to sit in the weight of that, that, that this is our heritage, that this is where we come from. And he did it for us so that we could be his witnesses so, over the next few minutes, the band's going to play, and uh, this is your time to respond. We'll have community pastors that will be serving you communion. Um, also, community pastors who will be up front. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. That's, that's why we're here. So, this is your time. Oh, thank you all for coming today. It's so good to see you. I never get on stage at the end. This is fun. Oh, man, I love this. Um, so anyhow, um, yeah, we're wrapping. We're early today, and, you know, parents and your kids are going to be stoked. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyhow, um, 
Want to get out here and just uh, share with you again, um, we're, our signups for Vox Dinners are open right now. Um, we will be starting that in October. Um, these are monthly dinners that we will be doing um, around uh, the county, um, including South County. Um, second uh, week of the month, one of the houses is actually going to be on Sunday evening. So some of the hosts will change the days and the times based on uh, what preference is going to work for them. As, as we know about those, I'll try to add those to the website as well. So um, go out um, and sign up for that, voxoc.com. It's right on the front page. You can get to it that way. But uh, this is our invitation for you guys to get to know each other, to build relationships, to because um, all of that is required as we kind of embody this idea of safe to belong. We don't get to belonging without risk and or relationship. You know, when you can look around the room and see people you know, people you trust, um, you can find comfort, you can find safety and rest in this space as we engage, you know, difficult conversations and, and all of this. So, and again, as we go through this act series, please send in questions. Um, I hope that uh, you guys can read along with us. Uh, as Ronnie said, we'll be kind of tackling, uh, each teaching will be like two to three chapters. So obviously we can't say it all um, with all of that, but we invite you guys to, to read along, send in questions even from home as you do that. Um, some Someone actually sent in a question uh, a few weeks ago that was, uh, hey, would the staff um, and the pastors actually do a panel um, where we actually answer the questions we have? So we've, we've been talking about the, this week. We may not do it that way, but that's such a great question because I have so many questions. I know Ronnie has tons of questions and all things that are amazing discussions, especially as we get into Acts. So um, anyhow, I'm going to go ahead and release you guys um, with a blessing. If you can guys go ahead and stand with me as we uh, wrap up. All right, bringing back the classics. So uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and may he give you peace in these days. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.